Right, good morning again. Uh, if I haven't met you before, my name's Ian and, uh, and I serve here in this church. And this morning, for the next few minutes, we're going to be uh, continuing on our sermon series in 1 Samuel. So we're in the book of 1 Samuel and we're going to be in chapter 7. And we're going to be thinking a little bit about uh, the people as they turn around, as they turn back uh, towards God and what that looks like, what that feels like, and uh, and some of the things that, uh, that are going on there. That's what we're going to be exploring for a few minutes. Just as we think about turning round or turning back, I wonder what it's like for you as you plan to go somewhere and uh, and you're getting in the car, maybe to go on a journey. I wonder what that process is like in your house uh, with, uh, with your people. Uh, let me give you a little insight into what it is like for Team Ellishaw. And so if we're uh, heading out somewhere, the process really begins about half an hour before uh, departure time. And, and what happens is that <clears throat> everyone in the team needs to know that we're heading out in 10 minutes. Uh, we're heading out in half an hour, but that's withheld information at this point. It's we're, we're heading out in 10 minutes. And, uh, and then what happens is there's a detailed assessment of everything that we might need for this journey. That detailed assessment takes place remarkably quickly. And there's one member of the team who primarily takes responsibility for that. And it isn't me. And so they decide all the things that are needed. We're talking extra clothes. We're talking hats. We're talking wellies. We're talking spare shoes. We're, we're talking all the things that you need if you're going to Tesco. <coughs> <coughs> then after that detail assessment happened, different members of the team are sent to various corners of the kingdom to find all of this extra equipment that we need. And a large pile of stuff is is gathered together at the front door. Not in the car, at the front door, just right where the door opens. The pile grows and grows and grows. Then it's time to get everybody ready. And things are, teeth are brushed and hair is combed and people's shirts are put on the right way around. And, and all of that sort of thing gets, uh, starts happening. Now everybody's ready to go. They can get into the car. There's just time for one particular member of the team to bake a cake, to get some packages ready to be returned and other immediate jobs that we'd forgotten about. And now everyone's in the car. All the stuff's in the car. The seatbelts are on. We're ready to go. We pull out. We're on the road. And we realize we've forgotten something. Something, something significant, something important. And we know we have to turn round. We have to turn back. But there's something deep within us that doesn't want to turn back. Even though it, it makes sense. Even though, of course, we need it. Even though it's really important. Even though it makes the rest of the day better. It's taken so long to get in the car. Surely we can't turn round and go back. And it's a silly, silly story. But sometimes turning back or turning around isn't easy. It's not easy to turn back, to turn around. And what we're going to look at here is, is, a, is a people who decide they want to turn around. They want to turn back to God. And we're just going to explore a little bit of, 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 of what makes them want to turn around and, and how that happens. So let's kind of dive into the context of where we're at. We're in 1 Samuel. 
We're at this point in, in history where God's people are living in, a, in the place that they've been given as a kind of confederation of tribes. And, uh, and life is a little bit chaotic. It's a bit messy. Everyone does what's right in their own eyes. That's the phrase that's used. It's in a, a time in the Bible called the Judges where, where different people occasionally are raised up to lead God's people. Uh, and the culture is, is, is messy and is, and, is, and is sloppy and is falling apart. But the people are moving towards a time of, of much clearer leadership and, and much more unity. And, and things are going to progress forward. And the bridge between those two chapters in their people's history is, uh, is happening now. And it's happening and centering around a man called Samuel. So you might remember a couple of weeks ago we said, into the mess, into, into where things are going wrong, God has a plan. And his plan is to send a baby. That won't, be the, that won't be the last time that God's plan will be to send a baby into a messy world to sort it out. And so this baby that we've been looking at is, is Samuel. We've, we've seen him grow up a little bit a couple of weeks ago. And now we're picking up the story again. But for chapters 4, 5 and 6, which we've, which we've missed, Samuel disappears from the story. 20 years, over 20 years, and we don't hear anything about him. The people continue to struggle. They live in defeat. They, they live in um, disappointment. And, and, and something is starting to stir within them and they want to turn around. They want to turn back to God. And Samuel re-enters the story. And now is the time for that turning around to take place. Just before we read, I wonder if you caught there that it's 20 years since, over 20 years since we've last seen Samuel. I wonder if you notice how often when we read in the Bible of people that God uses significantly, how often there's a time lapse between things starting and them, 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 them kicking on it with the plans that God has for them. Abraham is called, but waits years before an Isaac. Joseph has dreams, but waits a long time before he's prime minister of Egypt. David saves the nation as he kills Goliath, but it's, a, it's years until he's king. Saul of Tarsus meets God in a powerful way on the road to Damascus, but he's taken out of frontline stuff for a while, as he learns and grows before he becomes the central uh, figure in the second half of the book of Acts. There's a time, Samuel, God's raised him up, God's speaking through him. He'll, he's going to be this judge, prophet and priest. He's so important, so significant for the storyline, but it doesn't happen instantly. The images that God uses for us to help us understand his work are often agricultural. It's often a seed that's planted that dies, germinates, grows and produces fruit. It takes time. It takes time. God's work, sometimes instantaneous, but, but often takes time. If you're in one of those waiting periods, if you're in one of those times where, where things haven't just happened yet, remember, it's God's work sometimes takes time. And, and, and we're heading into 1 Samuel 7, where the time has come. So let's read. I'll read verse 2 to verse 9. That's the, the little section we'll explore this morning. Then all the people of Israel turned back to the Lord. So Samuel 
said to all the Israelites, If you are returning to the Lord with all your hearts, then rid yourselves of the foreign gods and the Ashtaroths and commit yourself to the Lord and serve him only, and he'll deliver you out of the hand of the Philistines. So the Israelites put away their Baals and Ashtaroths and served the Lord only. Then Samuel said, Assemble all the Israelites at Mizpah, and I'll intercede with, with the Lord for you. When they had assembled at Mizpah, they drew water and poured it out before the Lord. And on that day they fasted, and there they confessed, We've sinned against the Lord. Now Samuel was serving as leader, or judge, of Israel at Mizpah. When the Philistines heard that, the, that Israel had assembled at Mizpah, the rulers of the Philistines came up to attack them. When the Israelites heard of it, they were afraid because of the Philistines. They said to Samuel, do not stop crying out to the Lord our God for us, that he may rescue us from the hand of the Philistines. And then Samuel took a suckling lamb and sacrificed it as a whole burnt offering to the Lord. He cried out to the Lord on Israel's behalf and the Lord answered him. Let's uh, take a few moments just to explore these verses as the people want to turn around, as they want to turn back. Three, three things we're just going to notice. Uh, first of all, they cast out the idols. They get rid of the idols. Verse 3. So Samuel said to all the Israelites, If you're returning to the Lord with all your hearts, then rid yourselves of the foreign gods and the Ashtaroths and commit yourselves to serve to the Lord and serve him only. Later on, so the Israelites put away their Baals and Astaroths and served the Lord only. So, so what, what's happening here? Let's, let's try and track it a little bit together. God has said, you shall have no other gods before me. That's part of the Ten Commandments, Exodus 20. You have no other gods before me. God is so big. He's so good. He's so beautiful. He's so mysterious. He's so uh, wonderful. He's so beyond our comprehension that, that he, can't, he can't share worship with anybody else. It, there's, there's so much of him. There's, there's so much goodness and grace to explore. So much truth and light. And it says that there's no room for any idols in this picture as well. But, but as we track the people through the Old Testament, they really struggle not to have idols. It just seems like part of our, our default mechanism is that often our hearts sort of lean towards serving idols as well. Uh, and sometimes when, we're, when we are uh, reading things like this, it can be kind of hard for us to connect with, well, what are these idols they're serving? We picture an image or a statue or, or something that's in the house and we probably don't have that the same. So just for a moment, I want to notice, what are these idols that I kept butchering the names of as I read them? What, 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 what's that about? Because there's nothing new under the sun. So, so Baal or Baal, is a is a Canaanite deity, is a, a god of the Canaanites, and uh, and he is a, is a male god, and and he was thought of as one who controlled the weather. Baal means master or owner, and he was thought to ride on the clouds, so he would control the storm, control the rains, and and so so as you worship him, what you're what you're aiming for is seasonal rains, 
<clears throat> so that you can have good crops, so that you can, you can sell, so you can be wealthy. And I'm sorry that this is a little bit crude, but, but the practice of worshipping him was to, to, to kind of act out on earth what you wanted to happen in the gods. And that's, that's fairly common in, in lots of idol worship. And so you would go to the shrine prostitute and you would sleep with them. And sorry this is crude, but as you plant your seed in the prostitute, so you're asking Baal to bless the seed you've planted in the ground. And that's kind of a little bit of what's going on as you serve of Baal. This Ashtaroth is a female Canaanite deity. And uh, and uh, there's lots that could be said, but we've, we've found, archaeologists have found lots of images and pictures which we think refer to Ashtaroth. A, a very, again, overly sexualized images. And without wanting to go too far on, on what this is about, this is what I think is happening here. The, the people, as they want to worship these idols, here's what they're after. They're after control. We, we can control the weather. If we can control our environment, they're after power. They're after wealth. And they're after sex as a way to get what I want. That's what, that's what worshipping idols here is, is about. I suspect the idols of our own nation, of our own culture, are not a million miles away from that in lots of ways. And, the, and, and so the people are, are kind of drawn away. And, and, the, and the further you're drawn towards the, the idols, the, the darker it gets. As, as, you, as we track through, particularly what the prophets say about idol worship, we'll see that the general flavor of what the Bible says about worshipping idols is that you become like that that you worship. You become like what you worship. The, more you, the, the further down the track you go, the more you take on the characteristics of, of, of the target that you've set yourself. Hosea is talking 250, 300 years later on than this, maybe slightly more, and... Uh, and the people are still struggling with the same idols. And, and Hosea's got some brilliant lines. It's a f- fantastic book. But he's got these brilliant one-liners. And one of his lines is, it said of these people, they kiss the, they kiss the idol and sacrifice their children. That's what happens with idol worship. It, it inverts things. So instead of kissing the children and sacrificing the calf... You kiss the calf idol and sacrifice the children. And, and, and so there's a, there's, a, there's a darkness to worshipping these idols. But there's also a subtlety. I wonder if you noticed in, the, wor- in, the, in the, the verses we were looking at that twice Samuel says, if you'll serve him only or serve the Lord only. And I think what's happening here is that the people, they have not, completely gone away from the living God, but they've added. They've added the idols as well. Yes, we might go to the temple, but we'll also go to the shrine. We've we've added in, we'll hedge our bets. We'll ask God, but we'll ask Baal as well. We'll ask God, but we also want, want control. We want power. We want wealth. We want sex on our terms. So, so for, in order for the people to turn around, there's this dropping of idols. There's this getting rid 
of idols. I wonder what the idols are in our own life. I wonder what there are in, in our life where we were tempted not to fully trust in God, but to trust in something else as well, or just to get caught up in another story. Rather than living in God's story, we want to get caught up in, in another narrative, another story. There's a dropping of idols. We're getting rid of them. Casting out idols. Secondly, there is a confession of sin. Verse 5. Then Samuel said, Assemble all Israel at Mizpah, and I'll intercede with the Lord for you. And when they'd assembled, they drew water and poured it out before the Lord. And on that day they fasted, and they confessed we've sinned against the Lord. And now Samuel was serving as leader. So, so, so what, what's, what's happening? The, the people are wanting to turn around or turn back to God. And as part of that process, they, they want to get things right with God. They want things that, are, things that have been wrong to be dealt with. <clears throat> Just as in any relationship we might have with a friend, when something happens, there's something between us. We know it, they know it. Um, there's 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 something wrong. There's something has gone uh, has made it unpleasant. Something needs straightening out. So when it's confessed, when it's when it's brought into the light, when somebody says this, I recognise I've done this and it was wrong. It was unhelpful. It gives the opportunity for forgiveness, grace, and moving forward. And the people here are wanting to confess that they've sinned against the Lord. That they've turned from a holy God. And in just a, couple, just a couple of verses, it's amazing what's happening. The people gather together. There's a unity in this. There's a togetherness. There's a, this is a community saying, we, there's a unity. They fast. There's a humility. They're saying, actually, we're just, let's just put aside the normal routines of life. We're, just gonna, we're not going to eat today. We want to get this right. There's a determination and a humility to deal with what's happening. Then there's this rather perhaps puzzling idea of the pouring out water. And, and I think what's happening here is that in a, in a very dry and arid place, if you pour out water, you, you can't get it back. It, 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 it's gone. You're pouring it out. You can't put it back in the jar. And I think it's this kind of sign of wholeheartedness. It's a sign of, of, of uh, probably remembering what God's provided in the past. But also it's, it's this devotion to God. And they confess. It's, they, they confess we, we've sinned. We've got it wrong. We've made mistakes. We've, 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 we've worshipped these idols, we've, we've served ourselves, we've gone our own way. And there's this confession. Confessing our sin is an important part of walking with God. But it's not about keeping us feeling guilty. It's the opposite. It's about knowing that we're forgiven. It's about freedom. I wonder if, if you just notice as we read just what Samuel was doing for the people. Not only was he assembling them together, but he, he also intercedes for them. He prays for them, verse 5. He offers a sacrifice for them, verse 9. The people walked away from God or, or more likely drifted. Just 
carried along on the current, just bobbing along, drifting away. And they, as they've gone, they start to reap what they saw. They've gone after power and control and, and wealth and, and self-satisfaction and find themselves living in chaos, defeat and disappointment. They've turned away from a holy God and now they're turning around. They want to make it right. They want to recognize that sin and, and confess. And a, and a wise and loving leader sacrifices for them and intercedes for them. It's a foreshadow of what Jesus has done for us. Jesus, uh, who, who is God, has, has come into our world. And he has not just sacrificed for us, but was the sacrifice for us. He has died that we might be forgiven. He has taken that punishment on himself. The, the, as we confess the problem and confess that we have made the problem, we have walked away, that the, 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 the ability to make that right has been accomplished by Jesus. Not only has he been our sacrifice, he also intercedes for us. We've had that mentioned this morning already. Romans 8, 34 Christ Jesus who died, more than that was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Just just take that in for a moment. Just, just, just listen to what that verse says for a moment. God himself has enabled us to be right with him, to be forgiven. He has died and been raised to life. He's at the right hand of God. And he's interceding for me and for you. That is remarkable. We may have walked a long way from God, but the, the remarkable truth is if we turn round, he's right there reaching out for us. However far we've walked away, wherever we've gone, However far and to whatever place, if we turn round, he's right there, reaching out for us. Confession of sin is not about necessarily feeling guilty. It's about recognising that our sins have been forgiven. The price has been paid. And we can operate in that forgiveness and grace. And then thirdly and finally, the people cast out their idols, they confess their sin. And thirdly, remarkably, beginning with a C as well, they call out to God. Verse 7, when the Philistines heard that Israel had assembled, the rulers of the Philistines came to attack them. When the Israelites heard of it, they were afraid because of the Philistines. And they said to Samuel, do not stop crying out to the Lord our God for us, that he may rescue us from the hand of of the Philistines. It's interesting, isn't it? As the people are about to turn back, they're about to leave these idols behind. What happens straight away is that they, they come under this attack. The enemies around them see them gathered and perhaps uh, view that as a potential threat or, or maybe there's more going on here, but whatever happens, they come under attack. And the question is, how are they going to respond? How are they going to respond when they come under that pressure? When they're afraid, 
This is when it's very easy to run back to the idols. This is when it's so easy to go back to, to control. Let me control this. To, to power. Can I, be, can I be the one in the power in this situation? Will money help? Can I run to sex? And what is remarkable is that they cry out to God. There's no hedging their bets, no plan B. They cry out to God. They're in a very vulnerable position here. As a nation, there's no army. There's no military leaders. They're very vulnerable. The Philistines have been over them for a long time, at least a generation. And they're very vulnerable and they cry out to God. No plan B. Just faith. Just trust that God will do something on their behalf. And I think what strikes me as remarkable about the turnaround we've been thinking about is just that it's possible. That, that it's possible. It's possible to turn back. It's possible to change direction. It's possible to not be walking away, but be walking with the living God. And it's possible because God makes it possible. Because he is a God who answers prayer. A God who loves a prodigal returning home. A God who is full of grace as well as truth. And for us, because of Jesus, if we turn round, wherever we've landed, he's there. Ready to welcome us home. Ready to walk with us. If we call out, if we're willing to confess, to, to say, yeah, we've, we've just got this, this wrong. We've walked away. And if we're ready to to put him first and drop the idols, whatever they may be. Jesus said something very interesting. He said, for whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. Those things that we want, that we often run to are so um, appealing often. It's so appealing to run for 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 power, but if we walk with God, we walk with the one who's all-powerful. It's so easy to want to run to, to wealth to give us our security, but when we walk with him, we walk with the one who owns the cattle on a thousand hills, who has all the resources, it's, it, but it's on him. The one who, who gives us sex is a beautiful gift, but when it's used only for our own benefit, it's soon turns very ugly. But it's by actually losing our life, laying these things down that we find that we find it. One final thing and then we'll close. You may know the song uh, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. Uh, you may not know that at all, but it, it's a, a song uh, that we sometimes perhaps sing. And I think it's the second line has a, the start of the second verse has a line that I um, always felt slightly unusual singing because I had no idea really what it meant. And the start of the second line says, you might know it, here I raise my Ebenezer. And, uh, you know, you're you're good going for it singing, but you think, I'm not actually sure what that means. Um, Well, it's a reference to something that happens here in 1 Samuel 7. And after the After the Lord rescues the people, verse 12, Then Samuel took a stone and set it up between Mizpah and Shem, and he named it Ebenezer, saying, Thus far the Lord has helped us. 
Thus far, the Lord has helped us. And the idea is, and it's not the only time in, in, the, in the Old Testament particularly where, where something physical is set up to remind us of, of, of what God has done. Of what, of, uh, of, uh, to inspire us going forward uh, as, a, as a reminder of what God's done in the past. I, I uh, know of a family who uh, have a little glass jar in their house. And, uh, and when something, maybe something significant, maybe something small, but when God answers a prayer or, or they pass through a certain time that's been challenging or there's something to be grateful for, they'll go out and pick up a stone and they'll write on the stone the date and just what they're thankful for and they'll pop it in the jar. And it's just a little reminder that as you look at the jar, God's at work. God's been doing things. And it's helpful because there's always another thing coming round the corner. I wonder, as we close, two things to perhaps take away. Number one, if we're following the Lord, is there something practical or tangible sometimes that we might need or could be helpful for us to help inspire us as we look forward? Can we remember what God has done in the past? Maybe it's a prayer journal where we write things down. Maybe we just actively talk to others about what God's doing in our lives as a way of, of, of fueling uh, our faith for the future. Maybe there's lots of other creative ways. Is there anything? But sometimes, sometimes something tangible is useful. Sometimes I've heard of, of, of people who have... Um, a particular sin or something they want to get rid of in their life and they've written it on a stone and thrown it in the lake. It's not that that does anything in itself, but as a symbol to help them recognise that's what, it's gone, it's finished. Sometimes something tangible can be helpful. And then the second thing, if, if you think, yeah, actually, I have been walking away from the Lord or I've well away from him. Know that he's right there if you turn round. If you want to turn round, he's right there reaching out. He's done everything so that you can walk with him. And if that's you, I'm going to pray now as the band come and take their place up on the stage because we'll sing to close. But you can echo these words in your heart or pray similar words. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what a glorious title that is. That we can come before a Father, a good Father in, who's in heaven. And Lord, we recognize that each of us have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. We've each walked away in, in our own way. Lord, we want to uh, turn back to you. We're thankful that you've enabled that to happen because you've paid the price for our sin. That because of the life and death and resurrection of Jesus, that our sins can be forgiven. Lord, we're, we're sorry for what we've done and we want to turn away from it. And we want to accept this wonderful gift of salvation. 
Thank you that you come to live within the hearts and lives of those who turn to you, those who call on your name. And we thank you that you come to live within us. And if that's you this morning, then pray, Lord, and ask the Lord to come into your heart this morning. Father, for those who have been walking with you maybe for years and years, we thank you for what you've done in saving us and thank you for what you've done on the way, on the journey. Father, we pray that you'd continue to encourage us to move us forward. Lord, as the idols of the world call out for our attention, as our own nature pushes against us, Father, we pray for encouragement, for your help, for your strength, and that we'll know more of your life within us. Lord, we thank you for your good news. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your love. We thank you for the hope that you bring. And this morning we say we love you and we're thankful in Jesus' name. Amen.